0: Welcome to the Inheriting Heritage podcast. Last fall, uh, with winter fast approaching, I became fascinated with and yet confused by the actions of some of the wildlife in the area. Back in Georgia, where I'm from, small occasional V formations of Canadian geese were were common in the fall in the the skies, but here in northwest Texas, I've been amazed to see them flying over in numbers rivaling the bomber formations of World War II. It is really a sight to see. The honking and structured formations fly south for the upcoming winter. South, I assumed, toward Mexico. There in came the confusion, for the more I watched them, the more questions I had. They were flying south in the mornings, but in the evening, they were flying back to the north. Every day. There were some drastic temperature swings going on from the nights being in the 40s to to highs during the day to the 70s or 80s. Not really knowing anything about these geese, my lack of knowledge was asking, do they start heading south when the temps drop overnight, Uh, and then into the morning, and then back north when the days heat up? Are the geese confused? This assumption on my part actually annoyed me, for I know the natural world is usually a much better gauge and indicator of the changing weather conditions than we as humans ever could be, but what was the reason for this daily directional shift in flight for these birds? I knew the built-in locator and mapping system the birds have don't just fail them. This is a yearly journey ingrained into their instincts, they just know it. But. What was up with a daily shift back and forth? Well, I love research, so I went digging. It turns out that Canadian geese do winter for the most part in Mexico, when they finally get there. They migrate southward as the northern range begins cooling off, but unlike my assumption, it is not a trip which starts and then continues until they arrive in their winter haunts. As temperatures fluctuate they have these stopping points along the way where they stick around for a while, uh, riding out the weather as it swings back and forth. <clears throat> in the mornings, they fly out toward feeding grounds and return to the roosting areas in the evening. So what I had been witnessing in the morning was their flight to Grainfield south of town where they spent the majority of the day. At night, they fly back to the myriad lakes and the parks across the town where they feel safe. As the mercury drops, they will eventually fly further south, repeating the pattern over and over again until they arrive in Mexico. In the spring, the whole thing is reversed as they fly back north. There was another drop in temperature overnight with some rain. Uh, The clouds were gray, the wind was cold, and there was a light mist in the air. Walking our dog one morning, it was also quite noticeable the geese were not flying. The air was quiet. No honking, no formations overhead. Had they moved on or just hunkered down by the lakes? It turns out they spent most of the time just hunkering, and hanging out by the lake till the weather improved. I guess kind of like a, a planes being grounded in bad weather. <clears throat> I couldn't help but make a comparison between the geese and the morning traffic in Atlanta. Atlanta apparently has a rating for one of the top worst cities for traffic in the nation. I'll be honest. I do not miss that commute. Bumper to bumper is an understatement. And the joke that it takes an hour to get from Atlanta to Atlanta is well, not really a joke. The city grew up around the railroads which fed commerce through the city. Anything going by rail through the southern half of the country had to go through Atlanta. Fast forward to modern transportation and it is pretty much the same way with the interstates. This feeds quite a lot of vacation travel and commercial traffic through the city. All of that added to the normal amount of vehicles on the road creates pretty heavy traffic jams, which occur pretty much at any time. Visitors often asked, when does rush hour start so I can avoid it? Well, the safe answer was always to say, anytime. Now, the um, Atlanta being a hub, it also applies to airline traffic. If you've bought many tickets anywhere, I would say 75% of the time, to get anywhere in the country, you have to go to Atlanta first. Now, we lived northwest of the city, almost halfway between Atlanta and Chattanooga, so the commute was nothing to sneeze about. It took an hour plus in the mornings for me, and averaged an hour and a half in the afternoons, sometimes longer. People drive into the city from all different directions, but it was The route I used all the time that I started thinking of. In the morning, I drove south into the city for the workday. In the afternoons, it was back north to home. It was an everyday trek and usually the same route. Because of the distance involved, there was really no better option to take uh, to avoid accidents or traffic jams on the interstate. So it was the same routine every day. Game trails are formed by wildlife traveling the same routes to uh, to where they to where they eat, to where they drink, to to where they lay down for the night. Indigenous uh, peoples use those same paths on their hunts of those game animals. Wagon roads turned into car dirt roads, and now many of them follow many of our roads today follow the same routes that those those wagon roads did. And a lot of animals, besides wildlife, do the same thing. If you really look carefully at uh, ant hills, for instance, ant beds, uh, some more so than others, but you can usually find trails that they follow all the time. And they actually wear down paths through the grass. That brings us back to the geese. Isn't this what they do? They follow the same route day after day going through the same routine like clockwork. Not much different than us as we get up, go to work, and come home. We have clothes and vehicles and houses and modern amenities, but when you think about it, we're not too far removed in habit from the natural world. Wildlife migration patterns were also created by changing climatic conditions. It's most pronounced in bird and insect species with long routes crossing continents and oceans, now, there are some mammals that go through uh, uh, migrations as well according to the seasons. But some of these routes run generally north to south, while others are east-west. Changing temperatures cause searches for more suitable conditions, similar to what the original home range experienced. The travel is triggered by these weather fluctuations. The spread of human civilization was guided by pretty much the same thing. An area had to be a viable place for survival in order to put down roots and stay. Some groups found ways uh, to adapt to harsher conditions, whether it be hot or cold. And they really kind of pushed the envelope of survival to gain land less contested for. These extreme environments seem to be places for most of us that we don't want to live. But those who did have existed for centuries and generations in those areas. In some other formerly inhabited places, archaeologists uh, still search for definitive clues as to why these people left. After living in a certain spot for so long, they say uh, you'll hear a certain civilization disappeared. Well, they didn't really disappear, they just moved on. The biggest culprit on the radar is environmental change, causing water sources to be inadequate for drinking and farming and for driving prey herds to search for greener pastures. The people then had to pick up stakes and follow and create homes and new lives in a different place. Our modern era has not been exempt from population migrations either. Whether caused by economic or climatic reasons or war, people still leave their homelands for the chance of better lives for themselves and their families. Instinct drives living things to do what they do. We'd like to think that perhaps as humans, we're above every other living thing on the planet. We choose where we want to live based on the environment we deem to be perfect to us to live. Isn't that what other living things do? If things do not work out and we need to seek, need to seek out a different place to move to, we make that decision to do so. Other living things do as well. We go through the motions most days, not really consciously thinking about our routine. We just do it. Yes, there are things we set out to accomplish each day, but I'm, I'm talking about the daily routine. We get up, we get ready, we eat breakfast, we go to work, we eat lunch, we come home, we eat dinner, and then the evening routine of of homework and showers. And you know, then there's your know, weekend routines of you know cutting grass and yard work. And, it does take thought process, but not deep consideration. It just has to be done. Instinct drives us to do what needs to be done, to live and survive, much like those Canadian geese I've been watching. Even that drive to work in Atlanta, you could say was done by instinct, and my drive to work here, uh, where I am here in Texas, is also pretty much instinct, well as to drive home, like the directional shifts, which drive the geese. However, calling it instinct makes us seem too primal, too primitive, so we as humans, we refer to it as habit. The natural world in humans, we're linked closer than we actually realize, for we are all creatures of habit. Inheriting Heritage provides interpretive consulting interpretive training, and heritage interpretive programs. The programs are done in more of an interactive style instead of straight dissemination of information. Consulting ranges from fine-tuning existing programs to development of new ones. It is not era or subject specific, but geared toward the process of interpretation and how it can best be utilized at your site to engage guests. Interpretive training is based on Freeman Tilden's founding principles of interpretation and styled after the methods of the National Association for Interpretation. I have also been approached by members of the sales and marketing fields who are interested in adapting my training to improve the effectiveness of their respective staff. Qualified as a Certified Interpretive Guide with the National Association for Interpretation, Inheriting Heritage LLC has developed and implemented interpretive programs at state parks, national parks, historic sites, and museums. Before I go, I would like to send a huge shout out and thank you to my wife, Amy. She has been a constant source of encouragement, pushing me to chase my dreams and provided invaluable input. This podcast and my interpretive endeavors would not be possible without her support. Thank you for listening, and I hope you will listen next time to the Inheriting Heritage podcast. This podcast was written and produced by me, Gene Harmon, Manager of Inheriting Heritage, LLC. The music playing in the background is Wild Dew by Audio Rizout. The opening and closing music is Cantina Rag by Jackson F. Smith. If you have any questions or want to know more, please visit my website at inheritingheritage.com. Whether it is the natural world, our cultural world, or our historic past, It is a heritage which belongs to all of us, a heritage we have inherited together.